0: From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins.
1: Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Washington Watch. Coming up, a special 9-11 edition of Washington Watch as the nation marks the 20th anniversary of the Islamic terrorist attacks on the nation. Are Americans safer today than they were 20 years ago? What about our allies abroad? What has been achieved or lost with the 20-year war on terror, as it's been called. We'll talk about it with retired Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin, Executive Vice President here at the Family Research Council, who was serving in the Pentagon as the Deputy Undersecretary of Defense for Intelligence on 9-11. And one of the primary targets of the terrorist was the World Trade Center in New York City. Just blocks away at Times Square Church, Pastor Carter Conlon, at the prompting of the Holy Spirit, had been preparing his congregation for some unknown cataclysmic event. 9-11 turned out to be it. Pastor Carter joins us with reflections on that day, as well as where our nation is spiritually 20 years later. But first... My job as president is to protect all
2: Americans. So tonight... I'm announcing that the Department of Labor is developing an emergency rule to require all employers with 100 or more employees that together employ over 80 million workers to ensure their workforces are fully vaccinated or show a negative test at least once
1: a week. How was President Biden last night announcing an unprecedented use of executive power in mandating COVID-19 vaccines? Is this unconstitutional overreach, as we discussed last night, an effort to divert attention away from the president's Afghan debacle? We'll talk about it with former Ambassador-at-Large for Religious Liberty, Sam Brownback, who served as governor of Kansas and was in the United States uh, Senate as the junior senator from Kansas on 9 11. The website, tonyperkins.com. Let me encourage you once again download the Stand Firm app. That way, you can be uh, in touch with Washington Watch no matter where you are in the world. But more importantly, you'll get the alerts to when you need to take action, uh, tell you what you need to do, who you need to contact. Uh, so go to the App Store, download the Stand Firm app. Well, tomorrow, Should be a day of reflection on the events of 20 years ago on September the 11th, 2001. But the Biden administration has chosen another focus, sweeping new federal mandates to combat COVID-19. Now, some suggest, and I tend to agree, this is an effort to get the nation's attention off the debacle in Afghanistan on the 20th anniversary of 9-11. But here, as, the, uh, as re- reported by Reuters, the new measures that were announced last night, which Biden laid out in remarks from the White House, would apply to about two-thirds, two-thirds of all U.S. employees, those who work for businesses with more than 100
3: workers.
2: Many of us are frustrated with the nearly 80 million Americans who are still not vaccinated, even though the vaccine is safe, effective, and free. You might be confused about
1: what is true and what is false about COVID-19. President Biden previously announced that all federal employees must be vaccinated or get tested often. But things have changed since last night, and federal workers now have 75 days to get vaccinated or be fired. The president will also require vaccinations for more than 17 million health care workers at hospitals and other institutions that participate in Medicare and Medicaid. Uh, There's also the president announcing that those that are a part of Head Start programs in schools will also have to be vaccinated. Joining us now to discuss this is former senator and United States ambassador at large for international religious freedom from 2018 to 2021, our good friend Sam Brownback. Ambassador, welcome back to the program.
4: Hey, thanks, Tony. Good to join you.
1: I want to get your thoughts on uh, on 9/11 because I know you were in the Senate then, and in fact, you and I actually worked. I don't know if you remember this, but we worked on a uh, a resolution uh, that we were preparing for President Bush to call the nation to a day of prayer and uh, repentance. But before we get to that, uh, your your thoughts as a former governor, former senator, in these uh, overreaching mandates announced by President Biden last night.
4: Yeah, America works best when it's freest. Now, I am for the vaccine. I have been vaccinated. I think people should get vaccinated, uh, but if people just respond a lot better, and things move forward better as a nation when we work with people and we say, "Okay, here is why we are doing this. Here is why you need to do this," and press people to move on forward. I just think that's that's really the way the country works the best. And uh, that's why, you know, when you you start looking at these heavy hammer approaches of things, I really question uh, if this won't, uh, this isn't going to work particularly well and could even backfire.
1: Well, I think it will. I think uh, there was already uh, questions because the the federal government, the Biden administration, is not recognizing natural immunity. Uh, They're not taking into uh, consideration those that their, their health uh, status is such that they're not at risk. Um, and so they're just forcing this one size fits all. And now they're forcing it. I actually think they're going
4: to end up getting more resistance than they had before. You could see that happening. Uh, I think that's a real prospect. I have uh, people that I know that haven't gotten vaccinated and I think they should. And I, you know, I've, i i pressed people that uh, I think I think people should get vaccinated. I think the Trump administration did a fabulous job getting the vaccine prepared in such a short period of time. This was a record amount of time. Uh, But other people were saying, well, I'm very cautious because it went so fast. Uh, And then, as you say, there are these different categories of individuals. I just I just think really we we need to continue to work with people on a voluntary basis because that's the way the country is really structured to work best. Liberty is at the root of being an American and you've got to work within that structure.
1: I want to play another clip of what he had to say, because I think this is uh, this points to the politics of uh, of how this has been politicized, given the actions that the administration took yesterday, not only on the vaccine mandate, but also suing the state of Texas over their heartbeat bill. Uh, Play clip number eight, please.
2: Today, about 90 percent of school staffs and teachers are vaccinated. We should get that to 100%. My administration has already acquired teachers at the schools run by the Defense Department because I have the authority as president of the federal system, the Defense Department and the Interior Department, to get vaccinated. That's the authority I possess. Tonight, I'm announcing that we'll require all of nearly 300,000 educators in the federal head-paid program Head Start program must be vaccinated as well to protect your youngest, our youngest, most precious Americans,
1: and give parents the comfort. You know, that rings so hollow when he talks about taking care of the most vulnerable and precious one. This is the most pro abortion administration in history.
4: I, you know, it, doesn't it just pain you even to hear those words? Take care of our youngest and our most precious, and you're going to push to have abortions. Further in Texas uh, by your administration, they talk about the youngest and the most precious and the most innocent of human blood, and you're going to press for more of it. I, I I'm with you. I mean, it just. It pains me to hear those words come out of the president of the United States. You know, Tony, it wasn't that long ago where we had pretty good and strong agreement that you shouldn't use taxpayer dollars to fund abortions because a number of taxpayers in the country disagree with abortion. And now you're using taxpayer dollars to force a state to do more abortions. This just is inconsistent. It is, and I think
1: that is only further stokes the fires of resistance to this administration when they come down with these heavy-handed approaches. But I, I, I want to shift gears. I want to. I want to go to. Uh, we're focusing on on 9/11. Of course, we can't uh, ignore the elephant in the room here. I. I, I do you think I do? But I'm going to ask you, do do you think in part that this might be the reason the timing of this is to divert the nation's attention away from the debacle in Afghanistan on the 20th anniversary of the 9-11 attacks?
4: Well, I don't know if it is or not, but I do know the administration has been desperate to get people's minds and, and eyes off of Afghanistan. And I've continued to work on a, on a daily basis with groups trying to get more people out of Afghanistan. And we're getting precious little help from the federal government, if, if not even really being blocked in some cases. And, and you're going, this is part of the American spirit that if we've got people that we have fought with that are our allies, you don't leave anybody on the battlefield. And, and we are. And we've got all these NGOs that we worked with for 20 years in Afghanistan to have workers there that are in desperate shape. We've got religious minorities in Afghanistan that are going there's going to be a genocide of if we don't get them out. Uh, and the administration is, has not been helpful, uh, has been harmful in some cases, I believe, on this. Uh, and I just really, uh, they, they do want to get people's minds focused off of what's taking place in Afghanistan. I hope that's not what they're doing in this particular case.
1: 20 years removed from 9-11. You were in the Senate when that occurred. Um, it took us all by surprise. Um, give our listeners a sense of, of your thoughts that day. What 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 was it like when you got the news of the attacks?
4: You know, it was a normal day. Uh, the first plane that hit the first tower, but many people thought it was a small plane and that there was maybe just an accident that it had hit the first tower. That was kind of the initial thinking of it. I was in my office and uh, I was in a meeting. The door was open, and then I hear this gasp. As people saw the second plane, that the, the large plane fly into the second of the Twin Towers, and people just gasped about what is going on. Uh, and then it wasn't uh, long thereafter before the alarms uh, hit in the Senate uh, and on Capitol Hill about getting out of the building because it was a plane that was headed towards us that eventually people took down on the plane themselves and took it down. One of the people in the apartment, little condo building that I was in that where you stayed uh, was on one of the planes from D.C. and died uh, on that plane when it uh, when it went down. Uh, but it was uh, just a completely stunning experience. And everybody was blind, didn't know what's going on. Why is this yeah. happening? Uh, what do we do now?
1: Well, I'm going to talk next uh, with uh, Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin about where are we 20 years removed from a standpoint of security? Are we better off or are we at greater risk today? Uh, Ambassador, we're out of time. I hate the clock because it uh, always stops me from having conversations that I enjoy. Always great to talk with you. Thanks so much for, uh, for joining us today.
4: Good to join you, Tony. Take care. God bless you and the country.
1: All right. Senator Sam Brownback, Ambassador Sam Brownback, Governor Sam Brownback, friend Sam Brownback. I'm going to talk more on Monday. I'm going to really unpack this mandate and this vaccine, but I'm going to try to stay focused on 9-11 today. General Jerry Boykin, my next guest. Don't go away. Coming back with more right after this.
5: When it comes to reading the Bible, sometimes it can be difficult to know where to start or to understand how to apply Scripture to everyday life. There are also those passages that leave people scratching their heads, wondering what some things even mean and what they're supposed to make of it. We all know that Scripture is divinely inspired and given by God, and it's useful to us as God uses it to prepare and equip us to do good work for His kingdom, to grow us, and to bring us closer to Him. God's Word is powerful, but it shouldn't intimidate you. That's why Family Research Council offers the Stand on the Word Bible Reading Plan. It's a two-year plan that helps you read the Bible daily so you can stay grounded in God's truth, navigate our culture from a biblical worldview, and grow closer to God. This plan will help you to practice the discipline of reading Scripture every day so you can be transformed by God's Word. Sign up to get the daily passages and questions today by visiting frc.org slash Bible. God is the author of life and has created man in His image. Therefore, we must respect the inherent dignity of every human life from conception until natural death. That is why Family Research Council works to pass legislation that highlights this principle, including laws that protect the unborn. To keep you informed on this issue, FRC has created online maps that illustrate progress in each state on key pro-life laws. That way, you can know if your state legislators are working to protect unborn babies. The pro-life laws FRC tracks at the state level include those addressing late-term abortions, fetal dignity, defunding abortion businesses, and providing medical care for babies born alive after an attempted abortion. See where your state stands on pro-life abortion. Check out our pro-life maps at frc.org pro-life maps.
0: Most Americans believe they have a biblical worldview, but current research shows that only 6% actually have one. This means that most of our friends and neighbors, including those who attend church, don't think about the day's moral and cultural issues through a biblical lens. Increasingly, we see the disastrous effects of a culture that has rebelled against the truth of God's Word. That is why Family Research Council has launched the Center for Biblical Worldview. This center is an exciting new ministry created to help Christians develop and live by a Biblical worldview, to understand why scriptures must be authoritative, and to equip believers to advance and defend the faith in the workplace, in schools, in their communities, and in the public square. The experts at FRC's Center for Biblical Worldview provide research and resources to help prepare believers to give a Biblical answer to our culture's most pressing questions. Access the center's free resources at frc.org slash worldview.
1: Welcome back to this 9 edition of Washington Watch. I'm your host, Tony Perkins. The website, TonyPerkins.com. All right, over the last few weeks, we've watched as the Biden administration has totally bungled the self-imposed August 31st withdrawal from Afghanistan. Now, you might recall earlier in the year, President Biden set the deadline of September the 11th. But after much criticism of uh, choosing this symbolic date as a date of withdrawal, he moved it to August 31st, ending the 20-year war. While much has changed since September the 11th, 2001, some things have not. In fact, some would argue that the situation in Afghanistan today could be more problematic for the U.S. and our allies than it was 20 years ago. Joining me now to talk more about the current situation, as well as taking a look back on September the 11th, and what has ensued in the last 20 years is FRC's Executive Vice President, a founding member of the Army's Elite Delta Force, Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin. General, welcome back to Washington Watch.
6: Thank you, Tony. I'm glad to be with you.
1: Before we get into the, the present situation, juxtaposing what we had 20 years ago to today, I, I want to go back for a moment to that day, September the 11th, 2001. Um, you've written extensively about what has taken place in, uh, in, in speci- speci- specifically in the years, uh, the immediate years following that. But let's talk about that day. What was that like for you? Well, Tony, I had
6: uh, I had traveled all night and had uh, just gotten in from actually uh, a tour of Little Bighorn with uh, some uh, fellow general officers, and uh, I had uh, gotten in late and I'd laid down to get a little nap before I went into the office. And my wife came in and woke me up, and I uh, I, I got I have to tell you what what I saw unfolding on the television there and. The reports that we were getting in from the intelligence community uh, was, in my view, was, uh, was shocking, but it was also heartbreaking to see this kind of devastation uh, that is being perpetrated against America. It, uh, it was really a very difficult thing for me to accept.
1: Now, you write in your autobiography, Never Surrender, the war on terror, as it was called, uh, which began with the war in Afghanistan. That, quote, the war on terror was not a war over money or territory or politics. This was a war over worldviews. What did you mean by that?
6: Well, it, uh, it As as you know, we we spend a lot of time at Famer Research Council working on the biblical worldview. You know, there's so much confusion today on uh, so many fundamental issues here in America. We focus on a biblical worldview. Well, the people who attacked us on 9/11 they also have a worldview, and that worldview is uh, is is essentially emanates from the Quran. Uh, and when interpreted the way these people interpreted it. What it does is it calls for war on us. It calls for war on us as Christians, on us as infidels. It calls for war on us as people who do not uh, recognize the authority of the Quran nor recognize Allah as, uh, as our Messiah.
1: So has that put America at a disadvantage where we have this prevalent secular mindset that says, you know, religion is just something over there on the side. And we don't realize that 80% of the world actually believes, whether it's Christianity or Islam, they actually believe it and it influences their lives.
6: Yeah. You know, it, it is amazing to me how people could believe, uh, the kinds of things that, uh, are, are coming out of the Quran the kinds of things that are coming from the mouths of the mullahs who are uh, teaching from the Quran. And, uh, it, but more importantly, what surprises me is the number of people in Christian countries in countries that at least were settled under the banner of Christianity. And that includes America that have moved so far away from those founding principles, those founding values those biblical standards that we were based on. And now what we find is that we are largely a secular country and all, you know, the continent of Europe is largely a secular continent and we have, uh, we have failed to uphold sort of the standards and the beliefs and the traditions that our founding fathers left for us. And those were, were traditions and standards and beliefs that came directly out of the Word of God,
1: and so as we in the in the West have kind of lost our spiritual moral foundation, those that we are facing in the Islamic world, they have not left theirs behind. And so when we're trying to think how they may react, you know, again those with um, you know that secular mindset in our State Department, even our Department of Defense. I, I think that they're at a disadvantage of understanding the, the moves that these individuals are going to make.
6: Yeah, Tony, I, I think that we need to understand and be very clear that while we have declined and waned in terms of uh, practicing our faith as a, as a people, as a nation, the Islamic world has grown stronger. The Islamic world has been encouraged. In fact, this whole withdrawal, this, this precipitous withdrawal from Afghanistan uh, has done nothing but encourage uh, Islamic groups and, and especially terror groups all over the country because the message is that Islam wins. If they will be persistent, Islam wins. And when you go back and use the terminology of the Iranians, the Mullahs there, uh, we're the great Satan. So what mm-hmm. has uh, been perpetrated now uh, and and the, the verbiage that is being used throughout the Islamic world, the terror world, is that Islam prevails and the great Satan has been defeated. Now, you stop and think about that. What does that do General, to the
1: terror? It we're up against. we're up against a break, so I want you to hold that thought, because when we come back, I, I, I do want to juxtapose today with 20 years ago when it pertains as it pertains to Afghanistan so stick with us don't go away folks stick with us as well when we come back we're going to finish our conversation uh, with General Jerry Boykin here on this 9-11 edition of Washington Watch don't go away.
7: looking for a go-to platform where you can get relevant commentary on the cultural issues of the day from a biblical perspective? Today, it can be hard to find this in light of media censorship of conservative and Christian voices. Here at Family Research Council, we believe that every American has a right to exercise their freedom of speech and share their stories with the world, and we think it's important for you to have access to these stories. To get the facts and stories the left doesn't want you reading, Head over to frc.org blog to check out our newest blog posts. We cover the issues you care about, all written by our experts in policy, government affairs, and biblical worldview. Our experts unpack the topics that other media platforms won't, like current events that affect Christians internationally, sexuality from a biblical perspective, and insights into the increasingly radical shift in American culture. To stay up to date on current news related to faith, family, and freedom,
5: go to frc.org slash blog. We're seeing more and more cases of censorship and the canceling of many conservatives and Christians by big tech companies. To combat this, Family Research Council has chosen to be proactive before big tech tries to censor or cancel us. We want to stay connected with you, and so we've created a tech subscription platform. That way, you can still find updates on faith, family, and freedom, even if big tech tries to silence us. It's easy. You just sign up for the text alerts by texting STAND to 67742 and you'll get FRC's content straight to your phone. Again, just text STAND to 67742 and FRC will keep you looped in on the issues of the day. By subscribing, you'll get information on our upcoming events and programs. We want you to always have access to the content that will help you stand for faith, family, and freedom and keep you connected with the like-minded community. Just text STAND to 67742 and be the most informed person you know.
1: Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm your host, Tony Perkins, a special 9-11 edition of Washington Watch today. Uh, my guest General Jerry Boykin, executive vice president here at the Family Research Council, a founding member of the Army's elite Delta Force, and was deputy undersecretary of defense for intelligence during the George W. Bush administration. Uh, General, I want to start with that because the, the war in Afghanistan started because the country was unwilling to hand over Osama bin Laden. Now, you traveled Afghanistan as deputy undersecretary of defense for intelligence Uh, during your time in the uh, Pentagon. What was your impression of the country then and now? What has changed and what has not changed?
6: Yeah, well, first of all, it was a very uh, backwards, primitive third world country. Um, And it was uh, also a brutal country. I mean, uh, and, and not only did you see that before the Americans went in there, where they were executing women on soccer fields, but you could see evidence of that just by being there. You could see, you could see the, uh, in, at any point you could see a man out beating a woman with a cane or something like that. It, I mean, it was just the the role of women in this society, uh, or the lack of a role for women, uh, was so very obvious when you were there. But what has changed? What has changed in this, the Taliban, the very group that we went in to fight against, the group that we fought against for 20 years, the group that was sheltering Osama bin Laden and have, providing him with a, a, a place and opportunity to uh, to not only develop his plan for the attack on America, but also to rehearse it and, and do the final planning for it. And the, the Taliban... Uh, were are very brutal people. And keep in mind that they didn't just they, they didn't just kill Americans for the last 20 years. They've also killed Shia Muslims. They've killed anybody that does not subscribe religiously faithfully to their doctrine. So what has changed? They've been emboldened. They've had 20 years to develop new technology. They've had 20 years to develop new techniques. And they've held school on us during the 20 years that we were fighting there to determine what our attitudes are—not just our our physical vulnerabilities, our military vulnerabilities, but our uh, our our mental and emotional vulnerabilities. And uh, they've pretty well figured us out. So they're stronger today. Stronger today, not only because we just gave them 32 billion dollars worth of or 82 billion dollars worth of equipment, but because. They have watched us. They've been around us. They understand us much better. And that gives them uh, a a distinct advantage now. And I got to tell you, Tony, the final thing I'll say is the fact that we walked away so precipitously. We did this in such a poor fashion that we're in worse shape than we were before because it's going to be hard for us to find allies in the
1: future. With that said, uh, General Boykin, is the threat of terrorism greater for the US and for our allies today than it was 20 years ago?
6: It is indeed, it, it, it really is. And it is because they have been so encouraged by this, this defeat of, of America. Uh, and, and make no mistake that the message that's going around the Islamic world is that they won. And, and it's hard to argue with that. They won. We pulled out. We we pulled out and left Americans as well as allies behind. Now, that is not an honorable exit from a 20-year war. I heard a commentator the other day say, we, we exited honorably. No, we did not exit honorably. We exited in disgrace. I, as an American, am humiliated by what has occurred here. And I hope that... Uh, we will put a lot of thought into determining how we rebuild the trust that we've lost in our allies, and we re- rebuild at least the respect of our enemies, like China, Russia, and Iran, North Korea, because they no longer take us seriously either. So we've got a lot of work to do, and I don't, I don't know how long it's going to take, if at all, but uh, w- we've got to start working on it as quickly as we can to regain our standing in the world.
1: Um, We're almost out of time, General, uh, but very quickly, when you, and I know it's early, but lessons learned, what are the top three things that need to be corrected right away if we're to retain or regain that credibility that you spoke of? Leadership,
6: leadership, leadership. We need to... uh, we need to put our, our military on the ground, give them rules of engagement, and give them everything they need to win. Focus on winning. Part of the problem is we never focused on winning, and really, until Donald Trump came in. And, and then he, he was, uh, initially, he was determined to win, to defeat ISIS, and he did that. Uh, So we've got to have leadership at every level, and that certainly includes the commander-in-chief. And now today, we look at our secretary of defense as well as our chairman of the Joint Chiefs, and we ask ourselves, at least we should ask ourselves, are these two men up up for the job? Uh, My answer to that is no. I think it's very questionable. As to how they got there, but I think it's also time that we recognize that they don't provide that leadership, and we need to uh, we need to have some new leadership in the, the Department of Defense as well
1: as the Commander in Chief's Office. All right, General Jerry Boykin, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you, Tony. And folks, stick with us. Stick with us. We come back with more of this 9/11 edition after this.
5: is religious freedom and why should you care about it both domestically and internationally by definition religious freedom is the freedom to hold religious beliefs of one's choice and to live according to those beliefs at family research council we care about religious freedom because we believe it is an inherent human right that all governments have an obligation to protect tragically not all governments do Religious persecution is a harrowing reality around the world that is not often acknowledged by the media, even though attacks on people of all faiths continue to mount in many regions of the world. God calls Christians to care for the persecuted church, the downtrodden, and those who cannot help themselves. Therefore, we must be advocates for those persecuted for their faith. To learn more about this issue and what you can do to help, go to frc.org slash irf. Check out Family Research Council's latest resources on international religious freedom.
0: Christians are called to seek after the Lord above all things. This means we must pray unceasingly, vote our biblical values, and boldly stand for truth. You can join Family Research Council and FRC Action President Tony Perkins in this mission every Wednesday as he hosts the Pray, Vote, Stand broadcast to encourage brothers and sisters in Christ to focus their attention on the Lord in every aspect of their lives. Pray, Vote, Stand will help equip you to stand for biblical truth in the midst of a confusing time in our culture. Tony is joined by experts, elected leaders, and Christian leaders for this weekly program to help you see through the fog created by the biased mainstream media. This year, let's commit to pray for our nation, to stand for truth, and to seek the Lord first. To watch the Pray, Vote, Stand weekly broadcasts, visit PrayVoteStand.org. That's PrayVoteStand.org.
8: Want honest and in-depth commentary on what's going on in our nation's capital and around the world? Join Family Research Council President Tony Perkins live every weekday by tuning into Washington Watch. You can listen to the show whenever it works for you. Go to TonyPerkins.com to stream episodes on demand or listen by radio through American Family Radio Network, bot Radio, the KTLW radio network or independent Christian radio stations across the country On the show, you'll hear from guests like Mike Pompeo Senator Marsha Blackburn Pastor Jack Hibbs Ben Carson, Senator Josh Hawley Sissy Graham Lynch and more Get a trusted perspective on the news of the day by tuning into Washington Watch with Tony Perkins at TonyPerkins.com Again, that's TonyPerkins.com
1: Welcome back to this special 9 11 edition of Washington Watch. I'm your host, Tony Perkins. The website, tonyperkins.com. And let me encourage you once again, download the Stand Firm app. What the app does is it not only will alert you to the airing of Washington Watch, and you can listen via the app no matter where you are in the world, but more importantly, it is a tool, pocket tool because it will alert you to when you need to take action on legislative matters, whether it be federal, state, or sometimes even local. And it will uh, tell you who to contact, what to say, and what's at stake. So download the Stand Firm app. As I say, our republic was made only for participants, not spectators, so be involved. Be informed and be involved. Okay, we've examined the the political aspects of 9-11 both uh, where we were 20 years ago, what's transpired since, and where we are today. We've looked at the military response and the threats that, uh, as we just heard from General Boykin, are actually greater today than they were 20 years ago. But let's talk about the spiritual implications. Let's talk about where we were 20 years ago, how we responded, at least initially, how the church responded, what's transpired over the last 20 years, and where we stand today. Now, we've not had the terrorist attacks, but again, as we just heard, we're ripe for those, given what's happened in Afghanistan. But we see this, um, these the viruses, the coronavirus, now a, a new variant. And, of course, the president uh, out uh, calling for mandates in terms of vaccinations. So where are we? Joining us now to talk about this is Pastor Carter Conlon, uh, he saw firsthand the horror of 9-11 in New York City as he was serving a senior pastor of Times Square Church in the heart of Manhattan. He is now the general overseer of the church, frequent guest here on our program, and a member of the FRC board. Pastor Carter, welcome back to Washington Watch.
3: Tony, it's so good to see you again today, and I'm, I'm so good to be here with you
1: it's good to see you as well. This is a topic you and I've talked about uh, a few times over the years because it was a, you know, it's one of those moments um, when we look back on history, you know, you, you think uh, you uh, people know where they were, older people know where they were when John F. Kennedy was shot, uh, when the uh, space shuttle blew up. Uh, and then, of course, 9-11 is one of those uh, historical markers. You were right there in New York City and we've talked before about this, about how the Lord was really preparing you and Times Square Church for that moment. Tell our listeners about that.
3: Well, he began to speak to my heart in the month of April. I was actually driving back from Rochester. A friend of mine was driving, and I was reading out loud from the book of Hebrews. And when I got to the part in the book where it says, uh, come boldly to the throne, of grace to find help in your time of need, it just suddenly hit me out of nowhere that there was going to be a crisis come to New York City, and that I needed, as the pastor of Times Square Church, to prepare the people to be ready to minister in this crisis, not to be found among those who would be terrified in the streets. I actually saw in my spirit, I guess I could say, I saw people actually running in the streets terrified, and we were not to be found among them but going to the throne of grace in advance, finding strength, finding grace to help, because we were going to have to be part of the solution and not part of the problem. And we began to meet as a church. We began to encourage one another. Uh, and in the midst of it all, um, there was a sudden uh, weightiness of God that came into the church sanctuary. It was, it was absolutely amazing. Uh, I, I don't know how to describe it. I remember one service where we asked the choir to sing, and they started into a song and got halfway through and, and just stopped singing. They, they couldn't because the weight of God was there. We started telling the church to get ready. We didn't understand what was happening, but there was going to be some kind of a disruption in the city. And we needed to be prepared and ready to, uh, to be part of the solution and to offer comfort to a lot of people who are going to be really, really scared. So all all through June, July, August, we, we met, we prayed um, weekly. And then uh, when, of course, the towers came down in September, we knew exactly why the Lord had prepared us. And thankfully, the congregation were actually ready to to minister to a lot of terrified people that came running down Broadway looking for for help and looking for hope. A lot of people didn't have hotels to stay in. They had no food. There was dust everywhere. It was a very, very uh, terrifying time. But not for the people of God who already had uh, been prepared to face it.
1: Where were you when you heard the news that uh, the planes had hit the World Trade Center?
3: I was in my apartment on 51st uh, between 8th and 9th not very far from the church. Uh, we had just moved there from New Jersey, and uh, I was unpacking when my son, who was on a JetBlue flight from uh, LaGuardia Airport heading back to Rochester, called me and said, Dad, a plane just uh, hit one of the one of the uh, Twin Towers. We, we thought initially it was just a flying accident uh, of some sort. And uh, then, of course, uh, I got a call shortly after that that a second tower had been struck And we became aware that it was a a terrorist, at least suspected at that point, that it was a deliberate attack. And, of course, we subsequently learned that it was terrorism and an an assault, not just on our city, but on our society as a whole. So you
1: were prepared. You didn't know exactly what was going to occur, but the Lord had kind of led you and your congregation to be prepared. How did this impact your church and what were you able
3: to do during this time? Well, people knew that that God is willing to speak to us if we're willing to hear this This is always the dilemma of humanity He's always speaking, but sometimes we get into positions and we get so busy we really can't hear His voice anymore. But they learned that God does speak to those who are seeking him. He does prepare us. we should not be taken unawares, even as the scripture says in the you know in the in the days of the lord's return uh, that we're not children of darkness that this day should overtake us as a thief so The people, what I found is knowing in advance what what God was speaking, what God was doing, gave courage to the people of God. We we had the first uh, service vehicle, for example, in at Ground Zero and provided food and clothing and uh, such like to the first responders for, I think, about three weeks or so. Um, We were able to minister to the numbers of people that came down the street to looking for shelter, looking for food. One of the very first things I did is... I I still remember one of the CEOs of a company in New York City came down the main corridor into the church, and he said—he was rolling up his sleeves as he walked down the corridor. He said, Pastor, tell me what to do, which is the interesting thing. The people didn't come to the church looking for answers. They came looking for what they were to do to be part of the solution. I told him, I said, go across the street. There's a a grocery store there, and buy everything. Buy it out, because I knew the shutters were going to come down because the looting was going to begin. And, uh, and he did. He headed out and they just literally cleaned the place out. And We were able to make uh, food and lunches for a lot of really terrified, hungry, scared people that we were able to give housing to as well.
1: When you look on that day and, of course, that whole um, episode that took place in American history and the impact that it had, there was, for a moment, a, a a spiritual moment in our nation where we we did come together. We prayed. It was short lived. But when you look on this event, was this? How would you describe this? Is this a? Was this a, a warning from God? Was this a? Um, was this? I mean, what was this? And is it something that we need to be concerned about in the the future? What what is God saying now to America 20 years later?
3: Well, it was a warning. If I may quote David Wilkerson, the founder of Times for a Church, I remember after the towers were hit, he said these words in a message one Sunday, he said, the Lord is speaking, but unfortunately, as a nation, we're not listening. We had our few moments of God bless America and all, all the rest of these religious things that that are at least were inherently part of American culture. But there was really no heartfelt repentance or turning back to God, or just even admission of saying, God, we, we've, we've faltered, we've failed, we've sinned, we've, we've stopped serving you. We give you lip service, but we're not serving you anymore. And, you know, the Lord was warning, because in the book of Deuteronomy, God spoke to his own people, Israel, and he promised an incredible blessing. When you follow through Deuteronomy chapter 28, it actually shows you the history of America, and it actually shows you the future of America, because God's word is true. His principles are, are clear and clean. They don't change. He shows you how he deals with nations. In the book of Deuteronomy, he talked about, for example, he said, if if you turn from me, I'm just I'm just highlighting a few verses, okay? He says, for example... He says, I'll bring drought into your land. Think about the droughts that are facing America today and in different places of the country. He says in verse uh, chapter uh, 28, verse uh, 25, I'll cause you to be defeated before your enemies. You'll go out one way against them and flee seven ways before them, and you will become troublesome to all the kingdoms of the earth. So this was the warning to to the people of God uh, that were established for God's purposes, is you're going to be defeated before your enemies. And, of course, we see it happening right before our eyes today. And you'll be troublesome. America's capitulation, in a sense of 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 being a force for good, and and for godly morality in the earth, in a sense, is troubling other nations. They, the, there's a, a an incredible loss of confidence around the world in in being able to trust this nation. He goes on, says the Lord will strike you with madness and blindness and confusion of heart. Look how confused. I, I think about godless leaders right now, and I, I'm not going to name any names. Or people know the difference. Those that are Really rejecting God and turning to evil, I've never seen such confusion in my lifetime. Their their decisions they make are just absolutely ludicrous. They're foolish, but they don't seem to be capable of of even admitting or acknowledging the error of their ways. It's absolutely mind-boggling. He says, you'll grope at noonday as a blind man gropes in darkness. You will not prosper. You will be oppressed. You'll be plundered. Your families are going to break down, which we're seeing. He said, verse thirty says, "You'll betroth a wife, and another man shall lie with her." There's going to be there's going to be a loss of the family structure, a loss of of, of of civility in society. He said, "Your sons and daughters will be given to another people, and your eyes will look and fail with longing for them all day long." And think about our schools. Our schools are are indoctrination centers. They're not schools anymore. It, 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 our our children in America are being put in places where they're being taught. They're being deliberately confused about their sexuality, about their gender, about right, about wrong. It's it's terrible what's happening today, but in reality, it's all in the Word of God. He has been speaking if we care to listen. Lastly, he says, the Lord will bring a nation against you from afar, a nation of fierce countenance, which does not respect the elderly, nor show favor, they don't care about life. They, they don't care about people. They don't care about you know, rights as we, as we see them. And they will besiege you in all your gates until your high and fortified walls in which you trust come down throughout your land. They'll besiege you in all your gates throughout all the land that God has given you. And 9-11 was a warning from God that what we saw in 9-11 is going to come our way, but in a very deep and increasing measure if we fail to turn back to God. So in my opinion, our only hope is in Second Chronicles seven fourteen. if we will humble ourselves and pray, seek God again, admit our failure, turn from our wicked ways, and begin to pray. God's promises are that I will hear you, I will heal you, and I will forgive you. And so we, there is still a shred of hope if we can still hear the voice of God and are willing to turn back to Him again. We saw
1: this uh, in the Old Testament in his dealing with uh, Israel that he was more than willing uh, to restore them if they would, as you say, repent and return to him. He is long suffering. What should the the church obviously needs to be leading in that effort, but knowing that we're seeing this uh, these greater threats, this greater confusion. What else should the church be doing? Is this another time to be preparing to minister uh, in the midst of this chaos and confusion that is upon us and, and may
3: possibly increase? I think so. I, I think as the people of God, we, we need to understand that uh, the days ahead of us might be, might be fearful. I, I had a young associate of mine, uh, even before COVID became a, a national problem, when when our governor in uh, New York State and our mayor were still saying, in essence, go about your business, uh, COVID's not going to come our way, it's it's a, more or less a disease for somewhere else. We were walking across the street, and, he, and I told him, I said, I want you to order uh, 1,500 N95 masks for our staff because we're going to need them. And he looked at me and he said, are you afraid of COVID? I said, no, I'm not afraid of COVID at all. What I'm concerned about is what's coming after COVID. There's something on the horizon that is... Is very, very dark, and we're going to have to, in our hearts, get ready to face it. First of all, we need to get back to the focus that the purpose of the Christian life is not to live for ourselves, which has been, a, in my estimation, a, a grave miscalculation of the church in America for the last few decades. We're not here to live for ourselves. We're here to live for the benefit of others. And if, if we can get away from self-focus and get back to the actual work of God on the earth, then suddenly we will find a strength that only the Holy Spirit can give us. And we will not be living any longer just to preserve ourselves, but living for the sake of those who, without a witness of Christ and without the, the hand of God uh, coming to them through His church, don't have any hope for the future. So, And, of course, it, it all is birthed in prayer. It's it's just starting yeah. to seek God. I, I am again. I'm 68 years old, and I'm just saying, God... I need a fresh touch of your, of, of your hand. I, I need your strength. I, I need more than I have to meet the need that's in this generation. Fear is something that will rob us
1: of God being able to use us because faith and fear are incompatible. And through that prayer and through that preparation, we can face these challenges with confidence and we can minister Uh, to others. Uh, Carter Conlon, we're out of time. I want to thank you for joining us. Always great to talk with you, and you always have a word that is very timely, and I appreciate it deeply.
3: Thank you, Tony.
1: And folks, I want to thank you for joining us as well, and I want to encourage you to pray. Uh, Pray for our nation. Pray that God would bring us back to Him, and we need to prepare for what we're facing. Of course, as we pray and we prepare and we take our stand... We've gotta keep standing.
0: Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action.